Hello, everybody. It's your old friends at Monday Madness, and welcome to another episode of That Was Liquid Football. Woo! Myself and Neil joining you again for another episode because Burbot is too busy uh, chasing buses, um, which is a shame because um, <laughs> well, they brought them all in because of the weather. So bad luck there. We should have told, we should have warned her in advance, to be honest. But mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, you know, all in hindsight. So obviously, it's been a while since we had a podcast, Neil, because we've had interludes and we've had uh, real life stuff um, get in the way. When I say real life stuff, nothing serious. We just went for points. Um, yeah. that should tell you how much we care about this show but uh... <laughs> yeah when we start getting paid for it then we'll start giving up uh, post quarantine points for this yeah that's fair exactly we have our priorities right lads so um, so like I said because of, uh, of all that stuff um, we actually don't really have much of a format for this show so myself and Neil have just mutually agreed that we're just going to like talk football for 90 minutes and see where it goes let's just um, fucking wing it the most liquid of football podcasts, folks. We're literally <laughs> taking it seriously. We both got drinks. We're both talking bollocks. We're already a minute gone, lads. Let's get started. So, um, mm-hmm. Neil, have you been enjoying the football lately? <laughs> I, have. I have, actually, to be perfectly honest with you. Arsenal have put together a great fucking run over the last three weeks. Might as well start there. First, the alpha, in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two uh, dragged out 1-0 wins. Um couple of cup victories, and then a 3-1 spanking of Spurs in the North London Derby. Always a great way to uh, yeah. to end off. We've got Brighton tomorrow. Uh, would-be potential league leaders, Brighton. Yes. Uh, although it just goes, just goes to fucking show you how tight it is at the top of the table right now with that um, they drew with Palace, one yes. all. Um, if they won, they'd have gone top. But because they drew, they're now sixth. I have I have the league table in front of me here actually. Um, separated. So, it's six teams separated by one point, isn't it? Yeah, like um look, to be fair, it's like all the usual like championship contenders are there. You know, Liverpool are there top with 14, Man City, Chelsea, Man United, Everton. Oh god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Brighton. They, as well. they won't be there, they won't be there for long. I don't know, man. Uh, Rafa, man. Rafa's magic, you know. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's Everton. It's, it's Everton. Like, they're the black hole of a club. Like. He's untapped the majesty of, of Andros Townsend from the planet Andros. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't rule him out, man. You know, he's, he's, got the, he's got the master plan. Who needs your fucking James Rodriguez when you've got the Mary Gray? That's what I've been saying all this time, you know? That is but look, like, yeah, like, um, I suppose, yeah, we'll just start off with the most recent games. That's how we'll, we'll chat about the North London Derby. And um, obviously, uh, the turnaround in form is a bit impressive in a sense. Obviously, like, we kind of we kind of did expect Arsenal to have a bit of a slow start anyway, because that's what Arsenal do nowadays. But also, it is, it, it wasn't it is really a turnaround from quickly, if you know what I mean. Well, it, at the beginning, when you look at it, like, you think of the amount of injuries that we had mm. and also COVID. And then the late start for a lot of them, uh, coming back from like the Olympics and shit like that. So, I mean, it's it's only recently that Arteta has actually had his team out on the pitch, and every time he has had them out on the pitch, we've won. Yeah. So, uh, like, even just take the Spurs game, and this has been pointed out <clears throat> quite a lot of places that um, you know, six of that team that he sent out, he signed. And the other five, and the other five, he gave contract extensions to. Yeah, you know, so, like so, that kind of argument is that like he, this is finally a Mikel Arteta team. This is a, this is exactly his team, and if you, even if you go to the bench, 
there's only like two or three people on that bench that he's not had anything with. Like Leno, all right, he's not extended. He didn't sign him. Mm. Uh, Maitland-Niles, he didn't sign or extend him, although they want to. Uh, but like that's that's all all the rest of them, just everybody that he and he's trusted his new signings. Like he's he signed them. He's like he say badgered the club to sign them and then put them straight fucking in. Like they've not they've not really been sitting on the bench. The only person who's been kind of signed and sitting on the bench is Tavares, and he was signed specifically as a backup. Like he's, there was not a squad player, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's he a, well, not really a squad player. He's a future potential replacement yeah. slash backup for Tierney, and that's how he was signed. There was no uh, bounds about that, so there was total honesty. But like, I can't remember any team fucking switching around this many fucking players. Like Wenger used to have a rule that he would never sign more than two or three players, yeah, or well, he would never, he would never change, he would never change more than two or three players. Like Arteta's got in with six, seven. And he's managed to coax a fucking great team out of it, you know? That's, so. that's what I was very surprised. I was so surprised to see Ramsdale in so quickly. In a sense so where, like, I would have I would I would have expected Leno to get the get the season out and then kind of like I kind of always expect him to go back to Germany because like like he, he kind of seemed like very comfortable for a Bundesliga uh, team. But yeah, no, I'm very surprised to see him back in and um and gelling so well too. Like I'm, I haven't seen such massive howlers from Ramsdale like you would have seen in the last couple of years. But of course, you might argue now he actually has a better defense in front of him. Oh, absolutely! You know? I'm mean, like, like when you people say, "Oh, like he above Sheffield shipped like seventy-two goals in a season," yeah. and I was like, "Lads, do you not see that fucking defense in midfield? Like you could have literally built a brick wall in the goal, and you'd still ship mm-hmm. seventy fucking two goals. Like the, the the goals are not due to Aaron Ramsdale; they really are not." And he, but in all fairness, he has exceeded all expectations. And to keep in mind, I never thought Ramsdale was a bad keeper. I just didn't want to pay thirty fucking million for somebody who. That, that's the difference. Be- when you hear the price tag behind them, you're expecting like you're expecting a certain quality or a certain level of, of of player. And like I know that's not what the market is at any time, any point in time. But like there is that kind of monetary difference to it. Um, because we've had that ourselves with like various different players in the past. You know, like I mean, any any person on Liverpool Twitter will turn to like Naby Keita and go, "Well, that's not a fifty-two million pound player," or vice versa. But I, like I said, that the price tag doesn't really matter into it. Um, I suppose one thing I would say to this point um, to everyone that like I watched this North London derby because it was very fascinating to see how it go, and I think a lot of people kind of had the same feeling. Perhaps you, you'd be the same here, Neil, in that whoever like. This was such a knife edge game for both teams in a sense where whoever won would come out smelling the roses, but whoever lost would come out smelling like dog shit. And I don't think you could have really like summarized that game more by saying that Spurs were dog shit in a sense. Like I have um like Spurs have had bad games, bad derbies before, and they've had great derbies, you know, much like Arsenal. But to see them so comprehensively played off the pitch by Arsenal, who, like, again, are not the final form yet. They're not, they're still kind of, like, starting to, like, form into that team that Arteta wants. And for Spurs to be so, like, humiliated away from home is, is actually quite impressive. I think the 3-0, three, the 3-1 three three scoreline was quite flattering in the end. And, like I said, if there was more chances created, they probably would have been more goals. I just found it so bizarre that the Spurs team were that bad, you know? Well, looking at the stats, they've been terrible all season. You know, I yeah, mean, they're actually granted, in the relegation zone for XG. That's exactly. how bad they are. Yeah. But they, they went into this game having only created two chances, like ever, like in yeah. the season. It's incredible. And, uh, so, 
like I do now, Arsenal didn't come into this game in much better form, I'll have to admit, but like it, it was just weird how he set how he set how Nuno set up his team. It's it's kind of like it's like uh, kind of um a it, it's like a four three three, I found. With the four but the the, the the four and the three are fine. It's the middle three that looks so fucking wrong. <laughs> like, no, I think it's all it's all terrible. I don't think he has the yeah. players. He wants to play a four three three because that's kind of what he did. Slightly what he did at Wolves. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was it was like his game with four Wolves. Like with Wolves, yeah. he was married to the back three because yeah, he had the it, players for it. He doesn't have exactly. like the Spurs. No, he doesn't have. But he doesn't have really. He doesn't have the players for a four three three at Spurs either. No, like he wants deal, no. he wants the team to be compact, but he's playing like Endombelli. And Lacelso in midfield. I'm going, yeah. Let me get the team up again. I find the team so Yeah. They're not going to be fucking. They're not going to be compact. They're nuts. They're going to maraud forward. They're going to leave huge gaping holes there. Got mm. a tasty green field that Martin Odegaard had just fucking feasted on. Like he had a field. <laughs> this is what I couldn't get my head around: is the fact that like you know, like this is a this is an Arsenal team that's going to pack midfield, and like the, like again, you you know what you're going to get with the with those players. Like the actual like setup of the of the midfield was so like wrong, but then again, I don't know what the actual strategy was. You know, like I have the, the lineup here. So the actual midfield he rolled with for the North London derby was Indombele, Hoiberg, and Ali. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the actual that's the midfield he's been rolling yeah, exactly. with the start of the season. He, he, he wants to play compact, and he's playing with Deli Ali. I was going what? Hmm. I was like, it, it doesn't work. And, and the reason it doesn't work is that, like, just the actual personnel there don't make sense. But it's also where you're putting them in the midfield. Because um, I'm just even looking through a few of their, their, their um, team sheets in the last few weeks. So, um, obviously, they've had, like, they've, they've, they've started to ship goals in a massive way. And that's, that's, a, that's an indication that, like, something is, is, is flawed there in your, in, your, in your system, in your tactics. Um because I'm even seeing here three 0 So it's the same team that played, um, that shipped three 0 to Chelsea. To Chelsea, and I'm fairly sure it's almost the same team that shipped the same. Yeah, so it's the same midfield almost that shipped it to shipped three 0 to Palace. But they can obviously probably probably explain that with the uh, sending off. But like it's kind of the same idea overall in that like you had like Hoiberg is a brilliant number six. He's a fantastic number six, but for whatever reason. He's Nuno is playing Heiberg like he does for Denmark, which is like on the right of midfield. And the reason Denmark do that is because they have Thomas Delaney there, who is like a fucking like destroyer. Like he, that's what he does. He doesn't even venture forward. He just ruins everyone else's day, you know. So when you have that, then okay, that makes sense. So what? Who is your number six? Then is it Dyer? It's like no, it's not not Dyer. He's playing in defence. So with the Dombalaitis number six, it's like oh yeah. no, 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 swap them around, swap them around. And but then even, if you swap them, even if you swap them around, that wouldn't really work. They're just, no. They just don't they don't play the way he wants teams to play. And it's just it's baffling. It was absolutely baffling. Now I fucking loved it now because we creamed them. Yeah. But um, it was just such a weird fucking thing to see. And you know the weird um, thing about it is is that the, the players that like that would have been good in a 4 3 3, like Sizoko and Lamella, are gone. Yeah. They sold them yeah. off, you know. So now, like the, the team is full of like wingers, like Heal, San, Mora, and okay, granted the four-three-three allows you to play two of those wingers at any given time, but like you also need to have midfielders who can actually give them the service. And 
like Ali is not doing that. He's too. He's he was way up the pitch like for most of the game. Like, well, where and the then Dem- doesn't really do any much tracking back. Like and was constantly just losing the ball and then just yeah. jogging. <laughs> you know, like, it's actually quite telling how better the Spurs were was when Skip came on because Skip was like, yeah. such a much better fit in that team. It's like, well, why aren't you playing him? He's mm. he's the natural fit for your team. He plays in a four three three for Norwich. Like, do it. Like, just fucking press the button. It's it's so yeah. bizarre. I don't know. There's, we'd, there's al- we'd also players. take we'd also taken the handbrake. We'd also taken the handbrake. Put the handbrake on. You know. Yeah. At, yeah, by the time he came on, we were like, look, it's three 0 up. It's mm. like 60, 70 minutes. Where we're killer. We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair enough. Like, how how do you say how do you say Arsenal kind of looking now? Like obviously the a derby win will, will, will is huge for a team like that as well, especially something they'll be forming. It's kind of like a proof that things are going the right way, but. Um, but I think even like having those like narrow wins is always great for for confidence because it shows you can defend a narrow lead. You have it's also it's, Arsenal have momentum now, which is always yeah. the best thing for Arsenal to ever have because it's the pure confidence team. And um, yeah, no, it's the team's running forward quite good. We now have to kind of figure out what we're going to do without Chaka now. After I think it was. Yeah. Who MCL, was yeah. was a Mora um, tumbled into him and Torres MCL, yeah, uh, in the build up to their goal. Uh, <laughs> so fucking when it rains it pours, but yeah. So it's it depends on whether or not Arteta's gonna Arteta's kind of we we've got two little options. We've got the four three three that we use that is the best way of getting the most out of the talent that's in the squad, which is a huge amount of talent, to be perfectly honest with you. And it's also the system that Arteta wants to play and he's familiar with, well, familiar with, he's not really much coaching experience, but it's what he wants to play. It's what he thinks is and it's what he really, really is going for. But when we play a 4-2-3-1, we score more points. Like, we get, that that works. So we kind of, which one do you go with? Do you go with one that you know is going to maximise the talent, but you're not really sure what you're going to get? Or you go with a four-two-three-one, and you know you're pretty certain. But recently, we've been pretty certain of getting three points out of it. Mm, so that dep- it depends. So it depends basically who replaces Xhaka. If it's Maitland Niles, it's a four-three-three because that's what he does. He advances yeah. up and he marauds, allows Party to just kind of pull the strings further back. If it's four-two-three-one, he'll put on Lukanga. Lukanga is basically Xhaka, but I was going to say I think Lukanga makes more sense there because. He's more of a like for like replacement for jacket, but that well, said, have the tactical flexibility there if you want it. Exactly, it depends on which one he wants. It, it's not a case of well, it, it, it's a case of do you want to play a four three three? If you do, sling on Maitland Niles. The the team will just simply morph. Go with a four two three one. Odegaard will shift into the ten position. Everybody has a good time, mm. you know. And it depends on how um, on what happens, what he wants to do with Brighton, who are pretty much right, Brighton really fucking high right now. Yeah, like um, like in whatever kind of like like notions of a of a podcast plan I has, I was going to ask the question, well, just package, but I think like it has to be Brighton, doesn't it? Like for the most part, um, very much. Like, well, yeah, I no, my surprise, my my surprise package would be Leeds, but in. The kind of negative surprise way that yeah, I yeah, gen- I genuinely did not think they'd be doing this badly. Um, but it looks, I, looks compared to Leeds, like I watched some of their games and they've just been kind of unlucky in some of those matches. Like they had a pretty rough start. Like I know they, they had United and they had us, and some of the matches that they have yeah, won, this United have lost, team isn't lost. Uh, yeah, 
Well, yeah, well, that's that, that's 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 something we're going to discuss at length, I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, but like, uh, like some of the games that Leeds have lost, like in a sense, they shouldn't have lost, if that makes sense. Like they, they were objectively the better team. They just had very sloppy mistakes, or they were missing Calvin Phillips. Like <laughs> you can actually kind of like attribute some of their losses to just that Calvin wasn't on the pitch, you know. Um, and like I said, I think like I think they have Watford now this weekend, so like that should be a win. Emphasis on should, you know. Um, but uh, but like I said, like like Leeds are always the kind of team that like they can't necessarily defend if they're in if they're in a like if they're in a trench like this. They will still play their own style, whereas opposed to like, okay, take a cheap win and move on and build on it. It's not their style. They'd rather keep be cavalier and keep going, which I kind of admire, but also go, you fucking idiots at the same time. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think last season I admired it because it was getting them points and it was also getting them hammered, but it was getting them points as well. But uh, this season now, I don't really like to say the teams have been figured out because it's, it's kind of a cliche. But I think what's happened with Leeds is that t- they drag every single match into a dogfight, like into a gunfight. Yeah. They turn everything. But now, as it turns out, their guns aren't actually that good anymore. Everybody's got better guns. Everyone else has better guns, if mm. you get me. Yeah, no, so, that makes sense. That even makes when, sense. You look, when you look at the post-match interviews in the West Ham game, that was it 2-1? Was it 2-1? 2-1 to West Ham, yeah. Yeah. You can even see that. Like David Moyes described the match as almost like watching a basketball game. It was just like... You know, it was just going up and down. I think um, it was a Michael Antonio who said that he felt like he'd ran a marathon yeah. <laughs> after the game. He's just like, I don't understand how they keep doing this. Like, they're fucking thing. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the problem. Like, they've no game management. They don't know when to, like, to put the brakes on. Like, compared to the Arsenal game, it was like, uh, we went there in a halftime at 3-0, 3-0 up. Do you yeah. really want to keep it going and potentially burning out your players and then allowing them back in? Or do you keep it tight, keep it compact, hit them on the break if you can, but if you can't, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. You know, do you manage the game? Like, you kill it off. Like, that's a real skill. And it's just a skill mm. leads just do not fucking have. Because they don't have a budget line either. Like, that's yeah, that's the thing. By design. Yeah. Exactly. A flaw by design is still a flaw. You yes. know, and... I just, I was thinking, like when they were, when they were in that West Ham, I was just going, lads, just the amount of times they've taken leads and just blown it because they just keep going for it. And you'd like, peep, teams are going to cop onto this at some point. They're just going to go, yeah. oh yeah, when the ball goes here, he's just going to leg it because he thinks an attack is on. If I stay here, I've got ten yards because mm-hmm. I know my my DM is going to probably get the ball, and if he does. It's a simple one over the top, and I'm through. You know, yeah, and, and that, that was kind of the case with the Newcastle game too. I remember what looking at thinking like it's such a cheap goal to concede, but then again, it was coming. You know, kind of way because he absolutely ready. Yeah, I don't really know. Absolutely, and but to then, this Newcastle team, this Newcastle team was garbage. Yes, well, again, that, that is not a surprise in a sense. Um, <laughs> like it's. Uh, it's it's bad. Like and look, like we'll like. There's not many. There's not many things we can say about the teams that are down the bottom of the table. The you know? the the winless five. Winless um, five. Yes. I've read a read an read an article there in the Athletic there that the, the last time we got six games into a season and five teams hadn't won a single game was 1964. Jesus, that's uh. We're so, on the hallowed ground, lads. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like you know, brilliant and. Uh, the, it's just, it's terrible. Like, 
it's mm. really, really bad. Well, look, uh, it's, it's 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 not a surprise in narrative bottom in a sense. We're like they're just they that is a that is a team that's already fucking surrendered, you know? Yeah, like, they've given up. They've waved the white flag, and that yeah. is it. But Southampton are toothless. They've got nothing up front. Their yeah. their fa- their failure to replace Danny Ings, my God, like that's dereliction of duty shit right there. Like people like Hassel Hutton probably like if he if he gets sacked, it will be because he did not replace Danny Ings with somebody who could score fucking goals. Like I I will slightly disagree with you on that point, you know? Because I do think Adam Armstrong is that player to be an Ings replacement. I think the difference is that like he just hasn't he hasn't hit the ground running like Ings had, if you know what I mean, where Ings literally like yeah. needed like two games to score goals. Like Armstrong did score on his um on his debut and I think in the um, in the game against United should have fucking put the game away and won the match. Like there's two or three games I could look at with Southampton thinking, oh, you should have won that. And that was actually the um, was it the Chelsea game they they drew as well. So they they've actually picking up points. And like I remember even looking at their fixtures, going, I can see Southampton like picking up nothing from this opening opening um, six. You know, so they've <laughs> to them, they've kind of done better than my expectations of them in a sense. Um, okay, it wasn't Chelsea they played because uh, they're, they're playing them like next. Um, <clears throat> so bear with me here. I'll try and get my my facts straight here before I. I don't. I don't want to give people the wrong impression <laughs> here on this podcast. You know, we're journalistic integrity and all that shit. You know, um, so yeah, like they, they lost the the everything game starting off. So it was the it was a draw against United and the draw against the Hamp, uh, Newcastle. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, actually, and they got the point against Man City. You know, and like they, and that was on merit. Like they defended really well, and City were just so toothless, which again we'll, we'll get to shortly. Um, so like I think like like out of the, that that team that that run, like okay, I, I would have expected United to, to to lose, and I would have expected, or sorry, would expect United to win and City to win with the likes of maybe um, Everton and and uh, West Ham and Wolves. You would have made an argument, but um, yeah, like like again, I, I would have, I was expecting kind of worse from them. And I do think the team is good. I think it's a it's it's getting back to the the Southampton team that they should have had years ago, in, in a sense where like young players, money ball, develop, improve, sell on type deal. And um, but like I said, with the kind of competition that's there, can you like really afford to do that nowadays? Or do you actually do need someone like an Ings to be there to just put twenty goals away and and keep your 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 club up? That's the burning question. Um but no, no, I, I think Southampton will be all right. Like, uh, like legit. Like, I look at when I look at the league table, the only team I see out of position in a sense is Watford. How they've won, like won two games a season is beyond me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the team is that good. They play really good, great football, but like um, the, the the squad is not great. You know, they're just they're just playing a really like nice brand of football, and that's what's kind of what that's what's getting them through. You know, um, but I think they will get. I think Watford are a team that will get like shown out eventually. If you know what I mean. Yeah, but I think the same might happen with Southampton. I mean, you mm. look at they've scored four goals. One of them was an own goal. One yeah. of them was a penalty, and the other two came from like open play. Yeah, one was the aforementioned Armstrong one. But um, like it was awful. <laughs> like yeah. they, they've, there's no goals. I mean, like, they should have beaten Everton, but they threw it away during the second half. Mm. Um. Uh, yeah. It depends. If you're a glass half full kind of guy, you're like, eh, well, you know, they should have yeah. minced, they should have gotten creamed by these people, these teams anyway. But you, you look at that team, you, you look at their performances in those games, you think 
they had Ings, they'd, if they had Ings, they'd have definitely won the Everton game. Oh, that's for sure, yeah. No, I, think, um, I don't think we're disagreeing with that, no. And if they had Ings, they'd probably won the Wolves game as well. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like, this is, I don't know, it's, it's just a toothless fucking team. Like, I, just, I don't see where the goals are going to come from. I look at that team and I was like, there's no goals there. Mm. Certainly no, there's certainly not the level of goals to replace what they've gotten rid of. Yeah. That's and why I think that's bad. That's why I think that's bad. It was like, right, you've gotten rid of Ings. Who's going to come in? Who, even if it's more than one player, like if you're going to bring in two or maybe even three players to make that up, mm. like who's going to do that? I don't see that there. Yeah. No, I, I do see your point. I do see your point. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about the actual, the, the front four, the, the four type protagonists who cannot be separated at the moment. Um, currently top are Liverpool. They have yet to be beat. The only club left to be beaten this season already at six, which I think is a bit of a surprise in its own right, to be fair. Um, a City, Chelsea, Man United have all scored an L at some point in the season already, but they all have more or less identical records by a goal difference. City had, think they're brilliant with a plus 11 goal difference. Um, and the, uh, the top two will face off each other on Sunday. Chelsea United, they're also in the conversation. Again, only, only by kind of goal difference. Um, so yeah, like every kind of big team has already kind of taken a bit of a hit so far this season. Like Liverpool dropping points to Brentford, of course. Um, City losing the opening game to Spurs. Chelsea losing to Man City. Unfortunately, it's a City game, so no one was there to witness it, which is a shame. <laughs> um, and then Man United starting to sh- kind of show cracks already, um, and the, with, with a loss against Villa. So like, I don't know which one you want to unpack first out of those four, Neil, and um, like out of those kind of championship teams. The other weird thing is, and maybe. I'm wrong on this, but each one of those four teams feels like there's a weak, there's a there's an Achilles heel to all teams, which I find fascinating because like it wasn't like last season or the season before where they looked immaculate and perfect. Like each of these teams could be kind of gotten to, you know. Sort of, but I don't I don't really see that with Liverpool. Mm. I think the difference is with Liverpool is that like it is that the, their team is subject to like well obviously like an, an injury crisis will happen because of Liverpool and it happens every year. Uh, but uh, it's also that, and I think it's the 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 form of the team is subject to the, the form of the top three. Although that being said, what I find very surprising, very pleasant that this season, more goals from midfielders. We're getting we've already got goals from from Keita, from Jones this season, Henderson shockingly scoring a goal. So that was a start. I, I'd say if Elliot didn't um, didn't get injured in Leeds, he probably would have been on the score sheet already. You know, like there's there's more goals coming from the team, but it's also like the front three have not changed their their performance either. Like Salah still scoring in like uh, nearly a goal or a brace a game. Mane still a bit hit and miss for my liking, but Firmino starting back scoring goals. Jota still yet to get off the mark, but he will eventually because it's it's coming. And um, so in a sense, like we're we're starting off really well. Um, but it's curious to see like how we'll keep that up, um, especially considering like out of all the four. We haven't changed anything about our side really, bar Kanate. So it should be so you can argue we kind of stood still, but maybe we just needed to keep the stability um, in that regard. Same with Man City, I suppose. Um, of course, with the 100% £100-pound uh, haircut that Grealish is. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one like um, coming up to Sunday because I feel that Liverpool should win. You know, kind of way, like I feel like we should win, but like with Man City, it's always hard to tell. Because as we've kind of as I've kind of seen from the season, either Man City will like put five behind you, or they'll be like find it impossible to get past your midfield, 
let alone get to your defense. Like I, I've, I'm surprised to see them so inconsistent. But then again, this is a team that's playing with no striker. They have no focal points to the team. Like their team is like so postmodern. It's practically Salvador Dali, you know. So like, like what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Like it's is it. Is it, is it worth praising Guardiola for it, or is it just like you're just papering over the cracks because you well, just do not want to play a striker? But to a degree, like I mean, he needs to just get more. He needs to basically. It depends. He needs to either back Gabriel Jesus to perform as a more traditional striker, mm. or like go nuts and just go with a, like a twin strike force of Torres and say Sterling. Yeah. Um. Because, like he 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 managed to get one over on uh, Chelsea, who were his main real main bugbear last season. I think they beat them all mm. three times, including once in the Champions League final. Um, but the thing is that like when you're saying they're so inconsistent, it's because they keep chopping and changing. They rotate and change things so much, so there is no consistency really. <clears throat> I mean, like the players themselves aren't doing that. But when it clicks, like they're fucking impossible to beat. But uh, yeah, they they really there's no focal point there, and I think that teams really start to suffer as a result of it. I know Pep traditionally does does not like centre forwards. Yeah. Um, but the team like teams need a centre. You need a striker. You need a, a striker. You need a centre forward. And Torres really really wants to do that. And mm. Jesus is Jesus was ostensibly brought in to replace Sergio Aguero, but fuck, that's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, he, he's got to figure out what the fuck he's going to do, cause, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, but I think when it comes into the Liverpool game, I don't think uh, the lack of a striker or a centre-forward is going to be his issue. He's going yeah. to be focusing on getting into the spaces behind your full-backs um, and shutting down that midfield. And City are one of the few teams with a midfield that can actually do that to Liverpool. I mean, yeah. when you've got the when you've got the Bruyne, anything is fucking really possible. Um, so yeah, that's what they'll look to do. They'll look to get the Bruyne. They'll fire it into the they'll fire it into the spaces, and mm. they'll look to cut it back. You know, they'll that's how they'll do it. They're going to stre- try and stretch that defense. And I think if they play Torres and Sterling, they're going to look to try and prize the defense apart. But yeah, because like, they're, um... they're going to look at Gabriel Jesus and go, "Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna stand up the Virgil Van Dijk." How is that going to work again? The guy's literally twice your size. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the result of making a face. You're not going to get past him. <laughs> exactly. You're just not going to work that. I'm like, you can run past him very much so, but about, yeah. like, if you send the ball into him, is he going to be able to beat Panda to it? Fuck no. No, so, no chance. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to play into the, flat, the flanks. They're going to play into the spaces, run into the byline, and cut it back. Mm. And, and, or basically, and, 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 or cut inside and go for the, inside, the shots. Yeah. yeah, like it, like it's it. It will be. I'm not too worried about the sense that Trent won't be on the pitch because, uh, like crossing wise, I don't think it's necessarily Man City's weakness. If anything, it's actually kind of like pressure. It's like it's like cast them on the ball, making sure they don't play out. Like, um, and the fact that like Jota is fresh and 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 everyone else there, like he, Jota is a great presser. Um. And like Firmino, Firmino is more of a subtle one in a sense where like he knows where to be on the pitch, so he can just like be a, a little kind of shithead and and, and uh, pin uh, pinprick it off you. Whereas with Jota, Jota will literally charge at you until the ball is gone, and that I think is is a kind of our greatest weapon. Because remember last season, um, 
even though we had injuries, we actually played Man City with a front four. We played all four, like Firmino, Jota, Salah and Mane. And like the formation made no fucking sense. Like it was literally like Firmino and Henderson watching four like massive wasps annoying Man City for half an hour. And the thing is like that strategy did genuinely work. But the trouble is it's so unsustainable. You know, like you cannot do that for 90 minutes. You have to eventually change your, your tack. So it'll be intriguing to see what we do, uh, what we genuinely do for um, for Man City. But I think that, uh, I, I have to say, like, um, I think as those that are saying, I have to mention Curtis Jones in this because uh, as a tradition, we are lacking midfielders again for a big game. Diago missing, Keita potentially having a knock, but he should be fine. Uh, and of course, what happened to Harvey Elliott was uh, was was tragic. Um, and of course, Trent then. So we have, we've, we're missing two potentially great outliers of the ball. And then we suddenly have Curtis Jones, who at 20 years old is like genuinely thinks he's Steven Gerrard. Like he's even playing the same style. He's just like, got to take the ball. He finds a space and he starts firing. And it's like, where the fuck have you been all, our, all of our lives in a, in, a, in a tactical sense? Because now you do actually have a midfielder who not only wants to take shots, but is actually quite good at them. Like, like his actual genuine skill is long shots. I was like, oh, fucking thank you very much. We'll take that hand over fist. Um, he was absolutely brilliant in the Porto game. Like he like registered essentially a assist or pre-assist in all five game for all five of the goals, which I think is insane to me because with, with Jones, the kind of belief was that he had a very poor defensive part of his game. Watch the Porto game. He broke up play three times to and served the ball to like to Salah or Mane or Firmino in, in some cases. So I think in terms of the actual lineup, the like speaks for itself. It's gonna be the same team that beat Porto. No doubt. Um, Miller right back was fantastic. I don't know how he still does at the age of 57. Um, <laughs> and, jo- and Jones is going to slide into that midfield. And I think, like, Jones could have a game like how Oxley chamberlain excuse me, always has a game for Man City. He could literally be completely anonymous or he will literally score two against them because he hates them. You know, kind of way. Like, that's that's the, the way he could play. Um, and in fairness, Liverpool, I don't think they have too much to worry about in that sense because... Their weakness this season has been the crosses um, because that's how we basically shipped three goals to Brentford. It was like an outswinging cross that beat Trent and got into the got into the penalty box straight away. And it's also how we conceded against Porto. Man City are not a massive crossing team. Cancelo can cross the ball exceptionally well, but it's not part of their tactics. You know, they are, as you said, Neil, they kind of work the ball forward down to the byline, like close quarters combat in a sense. And um, so it's, it's interesting to see how we will play in that game. Um, but I'm, I, I think it'll be all right, especially at home. I think like the atmosphere will kind of help us out there. But um, I wouldn't. I think if Liverpool targeted the win, I be, wouldn't be surprised. Because I think they are, at least on the form table, doing a lot better than Man City right now. I mean, the PSG game was a bit of a, was a, bit of a shambles on a City's point of view, I think, because they just, just didn't look, look, look like much of a threat. I know they hit the crossfire a couple of times, but again, they because they have no focal point, like there were there were peak players missing in crucial positions for good good chances. You know, not really. I think I think what happened in the PSG game is that City kind of forgot that marking Lukaku and Timo Werner is a bit of a different prospect to marking Neymar, Kylian Mbappe. <laughs> little fucking messy because yeah. like with Werner you're like alright then Werner can like he, he's got a good turn of pace but like he can't shoot for shit he can't he can't yeah. finish dinner 
So if you're like a midfield, defensive midfielder or defender and this guy gets by you, you're not really, you're not going, oh, no. You know, you're not, you're not shitting yourself because like, yeah. it's a high, ch- it's a high chance he's going to fucking, he's going to miss. Yeah. You know, and it's easy to just mark Lukaku out. Um, you know, I think he's big and he's strong, but if you can stop the ball getting to him, he's not going to do a whole lot. And yeah. that's what they did. But with Paris Saint-Germain, they were like, they somehow, for some weird reason, adopted that similar mindset. <laughs> and of course, Paris Saint-Germain just cut to shreds. Um, needless to say that, like, both goals were just, well, the first goal, nothing could be done about. Um, and they got content in like that from fucking 30 yards. Just shake his hand. Yeah, just shake his hand, pat him on the back and say, good man. <laughs> but, uh, like, I think if there's anybody at fault for their second goal, it's Aderson, who just didn't move, as if he didn't want to spoil Messi's big moment. Because <laughs> yeah, That could be the case, in fairness. Like, there's a lot of... Messi, did, Messi, did, Messi didn't even fucking do anything, really. Uh, didn't really do much. He just, he just kind of scoops into the opposite corner. Mm. But it was the best goal ever in the Champions League, Neil. You do understand that, don't you? Narrative. The, the first goal that was scored was ridiculous. Messi scored his first goal for the team uh, that is in Barcelona. Narratives, Neil. Oh, Who was the greatest? But uh, that's it, any case. And I think that's it as well. I think they're going to go into that Liverpool game and they're going to go, right. You're not going into Mark like Neymar and Mbappe, but you're not marking people who are as bad as Timo Werner. Yeah. You've got a you've got a, a a middle course here, like marking Mane and Salah as well. Mm. So and it depends Jota. on and Jota as well. So he just I I I think Liverpool are good for the win, but mm. you know, I, I'd have I'd have said, you know, Chelsea would have been good for the win in their game against City. Yeah. This this is the thing about any any game with Liverpool and City always tends to end the weird, you know, kind of way. It go, it never goes the way you expect. Like City could be in the relegation zone and Liverpool could have like won like 10 nil like the Harlem Globetrotters and would still end up being like 4-4 and like three people sent off and somehow Pep Guardiola growing a new hair. Like it's it literally anything can happen in that game. Um, which is why I'm kind of looking forward to it in a sense because like we've had a good run of games against good competition. Like we're actually, like we're hit a strike quite well. So like if we oh, do... Oh yeah, it's going to be madcap. I'm definitely going to be watching it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of the games of the season already. Um, and uh, I, I suppose we, we kind of like switch over then to the other two teams we were talking about there, Chelsea. Um, a bit of a bump at the road, losing to Juve and then losing to City. Um, I still think that they're still in fairly good nick all the same. Um, I think they've just been a little, they lost just lots of way a little bit in the team. Perhaps because Mount hasn't been playing as much, maybe, I don't know. Um, but uh, certainly like from, from their side, like it want, it'd want to be a blip. Because the standard seems to be quite high this season between the other clubs. Well, yeah, I mean, they still managed to like claw back the points at uh, Anfield. Yeah, when they were man down, like they had reached them sent off. You know, uh, so it's no, they're, they're, it's a really good team. I mean, the blip to Juventus. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a really terrible Juventus team, <laughs> but. They've got like Chiesa, Chiesa who scored the goal, and he's a yes, great player. Wonder, he's a wonderful fucking player. He's a really truly wonderful player. So I suppose it's the moment of magic from a one wonderful player against a team that's kind of that's always traditionally hard to break down, and then that's it. Oh, that's that's good enough, like yeah. that. 
but they were up against Southampton, and a lot's been made about the fact that Southampton line up as a four four two, which is pretty much how you line up if you're going up against a team that line up like Chelsea do, which is yeah. a three four two one. Um, so basically, it'll be interesting, just, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like yeah, like Hassel Hassel Huddle has been around, so he'll know he's going to get both of the strikers in on top of those defenders to overload the middle. And uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, if, if Southampton were playing any better than they are, I'd be like, oh, this could be tasty. But uh, I reckon Chelsea will mark them. Yeah, no, I, I, I obviously I'm expecting this uh, Chelsea win. Um, like in a sense, like I'm expecting to see Chelsea top, presuming that Man City and Liverpool end up being a draw. But um, mm-hmm. like I said, like they, uh, they're obviously a great show for the title in, in the wrong in the wrong sense because they do seem the most complete team out of the lot. Like Lukaku was like the final piece of the puzzle. But um, but like I said, it's it, it's interesting to see how they'll go. They're missing Reese James. They've but Canty has got COVID, so that's two players they're missing for the for the foreseeable. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see how they go. Like they're not like short of fucking squad depth. To be fair, like they've got replacements at the ready. Um, because it's Chelsea and they have like six, seventy people on the on the books, and that's including the women's team, you know. Um, so it's like they, they they should be fine, you know. Um, I think sometimes like because they are so like they are a surprisingly pragmatic team. I found in terms of their like team sheets because they do play that kind of like that three three and four, like they do hold quite well. Um, and like I said, if the strikers are out of form, then kind of what would them. But they they do have enough auxiliary players there like I mean like I don't think even Pulis has just had a sniff this season so far which is crazy to think and um, considering that that like, team was like nearly being built around them two years ago yeah it um, was being built around Captain America yeah yeah and like uh, granted it's a tactical thing as well because like he is an out and out winger and as you said that formation doesn't really it does cater to wingers but they're wing backs and you're not going to repurpose Pulis as a right back that's just not going to fucking happen so no. I can understand it from that sense and um, but yeah, it, it, it's a strange one in that way. I am quietly confident they'll be fine. But again, it's Chelsea. They'll they'll always surprise you somehow. You know, the the self the self destruct button is always very close by for Chelsea. Um, speaking of Neil, Manchester United. Yes, they're up against the pointless Everton. Well, oh, you say pointless Everton. <laughs> I, I, I sense we're getting our first upset of the weekend tomorrow morning. Oh, you think Everton are going well? Well, I will admit, if there's any manager, any manager around that understands how much the Ever- Everton like to beat the Manchester teams, it's Rafa. Yeah. You know? See, this, this is the thing. I, I wanted, I, again, in the actual like notion of a podcast we were going to have, I do want to talk about Man United quite a lot because I watched the Villarreal game a couple of nights ago. And I cannot believe that they won. Now, granted, that has a lot to do with Villarreal missing about seven golden chances and De Gea Holy shit. world-beating mood. But this Man United team, I look with the amount of superstars they have in it, are playing so poorly. They're so you know? broken. It's such a broken it's, team. It's like it, it's that it's that problem we always say about top-heavy teams, where like eventually they do just like topple over, like your Barca's, your Munich's, your Reals in the past. Because, like, sometimes the best way to make a team is make it balanced, you know? So we've, like, even when we did a transfer rundown, like, make, bringing in the likes of Varane and Sancho, brilliant business. Ronaldo, okay, in theory, scores all the cheap goals you've been missing last season. But you, you have such a gaping hole in midfield that you've never filled. 
you have not brought in those specialist midfielders that you have needed since Solskjaer has been there, you know? Um, and it's just like every time they do win or lose a match, you look at that like part of the team and going, why the fuck did you not spill out money for a number six that knows what he's doing? You know, like McTominay is a great squad player, but like if you're going to build a team of Galacticos, Fred and McTominay are not Galacticos. You know, they are not, that's not the players you want. You need actual, like, genuinely good players in those positions. And, not, and they don't exist. They're not there. Um, and yeah, exactly. I don't, you need, they, needed, yeah. they needed a manager who, turn, who could turn around to them and go, look, I don't want Ronaldo. Get me Declan Rice. Yeah, exactly. And 100%, yes, I totally agree. Um, like I said, like if, you, if they said to me, and perhaps maybe to other United fans, do you actually want Ronaldo? Do you need Ronaldo back? I'd say no. Ronaldo is not the issue. Like, you have the strikers. You have Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood. That's a brilliant strike force. Like, there are Premier League teams that are desperate to get one of them, let alone all three. And then you bring Sancho into that conversation and you have your fullbacks there. There's nothing wrong with the attacking. There never was, you know? And I, even in, the, in those people I mentioned, I forgot to mention Bruno. You're, like, one of the best number 10s in the league. That, like, that, that has never been up with the issue. The issue has been the one position you haven't filled since... Fuck, when's the last time the fucking skulls? Like, um, Fellaini? Fellaini was like the last proper number six they had. And you just didn't like him because he was a Moisey signing. So, like, like you can't really win. You have, a, you have another, another number six sitting on the bench there, squandering his life away. So, either fucking move him on or just, like, or just don't, or just get over him. I don't know which one you want to do. Um, like, I, like I, I do like Solskjaer as a man, but I just find him a bit of a weak, a bit of a wet wipe as a manager. You know, um, it's, it's terrible because in Ronaldo, they've got a player they can't drop. They will always have to start who's glaring weaknesses that the team cannot really account for. Mm. I mean, he scored a titular, he scored a late 95th minute winner because that's kind of what he does. Because at those late, at the ga, at the death moments, you're not focusing on his weaknesses. Mm. You know, it's a lot different. You're like, oh, fuck, I don't care if he's weaknesses he'll get us a goal field them but at zero minutes you're not you're like yeah. no these guys are gonna overrun us let's let, let let's play some good football let's not field him and you know put somebody in who's gonna put in a shift and he can't do that so you know and with the team with uh, as paper thin as central midfield as they've got that's just a recipe for disaster that it's not blown up in their face already is just pure luck, pure unadulterated luck, but like it will, it is it is going to explode, like it's just a bomb, it's a ticking time bomb and they're Manchester United, they're like that team's going to implode, it's going to be terrible Like my, my, my read of it is that like we, we sit here now and they've lost 3 and 5 the way yeah. I see it is they should have lost 5 and 5 I think they should have lost the Premier League game against West Ham but if it wasn't for this fucking worldy class strike from Jesse Lingard and they should have lost that Villarreal game absolutely like that 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 Villarreal team deserved to win um, based on the chances alone so when you look at that like that is a run of five games where Ronaldo has been in the, in the team has actually been there like actually like on the field and they were the inferior side you know on the score sheet and that should tell you as a manager that Ronaldo being on the pitch has upset the team, has upset the, 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 the flow of the team. And yeah, but he can't shows. not play him. He can't and, and that's not the play him. That and he can't, he can't ever sub him off. Yeah. You know? That's the difference. 
like like the fucking headlines that Pochettino got when he took Messi off because he said, "Well, we need to defend the team, defend the lead." He took off like Messi for a defensive midfielder, and you know what? It made fucking sense too because that's what you do as a manager. You make big decisions and you get over it. Like that's what you do. Um, but Solskjaer, I don't think it would be brave enough to do it. You know, like unless there was an actual, like, genuine reason like Ronaldo didn't want to play anymore. You know, when, when has that ever happened? Um, I, I don't think he would be brave enough to to make that call. Uh, personally, I'd like to be proven wrong, obviously, but um, but either way, having Ronaldo in the team is slowing them down in a sense. I think I think I saw a stat there um, from I think it was the Athletic actually that said that out of all the forwards in the Premier League. Ronaldo was pressing the least. Um, I think I saw somewhere that I think Jota and uh, Antonio, I think, are ranked, ranked, ranking the highest presses. So 22.2, whatever it is. Ronaldo's at 2, 2.6, which is like Berbatov levels of movement. But then again, that's <laughs> like, that is the way Ronaldo plays now. He plays centrally, he plays on the shoulder, he plays like like basically pressing the fucking like defender for fouls and free kicks and so forth. And when the ball does get to him in the penalty box, he finishes it dead on. Like it's, 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 it's fail complete. Like, but the trouble with that is that's grand. That system works perfectly fine. If you have everyone working around you to do that, you know, when you have like four or five, like little terriers, like, like they had with Juve and, and with Madrid, but where what, the terrier is Bruno. Um, Sancho, not that type of player. Greenwood has the energy for sure, but he's a he's a finisher. He's a striker. He doesn't want to be playing back up to Ronaldo. So who's your firecrackers there? Pogba, not a particularly like pressing player. McTominay and Fred, they're two DMs. Double pivot, Blech. fuck that. So like your so what's your your fullback options then are like Shaw, Tevez, Wambasaka. You know, two two of them are injured. So like, what 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 do you do? Like you're you're, you're stuck of options now, and. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but the fact that Harry Maguire is injured is upsetting their defense even more. It's like, <laughs> the fuck does that happen? <laughs> You've got Varane on the field. This should not be an issue. You know, it's it, it's bizarre. It, the team the team doesn't make sense. It's it's got a fatal flaw in the system, and he wears an over seven shirt. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, from my side, even on more than that, the the fatal flaw that there's all the people wearing the numbers that go on the central mids. You know, aren't any good? Like, yeah. So, it's yeah. It's just, it's a broken team, and it's gonna, it's just gonna crumble. And like, it's gonna I, be hilarious. Like they when they it should goes. be fine. They should be fine against Everton in theory. But as you said, if there's any one fucking manager that's going to exploit a weakness, oh boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> consider it exploited. Like, um. I mean, fuck, we might as well talk about Everton because I think they're they're actually kind of worthy of conversation so far. I've been really surprised with Everton about how like how well they've been playing. And the gas thing is, out of all the they kind of like the flights of fantasy they've had over the last few years. Um, the fact that the two best players this season are Demary Green and Andros Townsend speaks so much about like how pointless the whole exercise was. Like, you could spend 30, 40 million on superstars. You could sign the likes of Hamas Rodriguez to pacify Carlo Ancelotti. But in the end, all you really needed was two really savvy wingers that cut inside. And your team now is brilliant. How the fuck did you miss this for so long? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say brilliant now, but they're definitely playing an awful lot better than what they had been. Yeah. 
that's the difference that, that Rafa Benitez makes. Like, if he understands a player and how to get the best out of them, the, the chalk and cheese. Because even Townsend was saying, um, obviously, a Palace has to do a lot of defending because there's a Roy Hodgson like team and everyone attacks everyone defense. With Rafa, it's a case like, no, no, your role is to do this. It's it's a specific purpose. And, yeah. and that was the best, how, that's how he got the best out of him at Newcastle. Granted, it was a terrible team at the time. Well, that was like one of Townsend's best personal seasons because he had left Spurs at the time. Um, and and yeah, like he, he was fantastic. He was really good in that role. Um, and the Mary Gray is like literally the same, doing the same role, but on the opposite side. So now this Everton team has a lot more natural wit to it, you know, to the point where like you don't have to bomb forward with Digne and Coleman. They can be a bit more defensive. So now you've got defensive solidity now as well compared to the two centre-backs. I was like, holy shit, it's almost like this team makes sense now. That, that, that's not meant to happen with Everton. <laughs> Has anyone tell Will Rafa, you don't make sense of Everton? No? He, he thinks it's Liverpool, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, shit. Right, that's our problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it's it's going to be intriguing. I'm I'm actually quite looking forward to that match myself. Because, um, cause like I said, United, again, with the Villarreal game there, Everton the week to prepare. It's going to be, it's going to be a close one. I'm intrigued to see how it goes. Really am. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's gonna be interesting to see what he what he does because he's basically spent nothing and made them better. Yeah, pretty much. You know, which is basically the opposite of what Everton have been doing up until now, which has been spending all the money and getting far worse. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it, no, yeah I agree. it's gonna be good. Yeah, um, I suppose like, is there any other kind of themes like? Um, uh, actually, no. There is actually one team I want to talk about, Leicester. <laughs> Um, Leicester have not been very good I'll be honest no, they've been terrible yeah which is a bit of a surprise like um, not to say I had like high expectations for them this year but I think those like they just haven't got going yet you know the kind of way when you, you feel like a team that's just like kind of like it's not quite got clicked into gear yet which is kind of bizarre for for a Brendan Rodgers team because they tend to just like leap out of the gate and then get worse you know? especially a Brendan Rodgers team with this much quality in it now they don't have Fofana um, I think Evans and Justin are out as well. Yeah. So, but the thing is, it's like, Mad- has Madison started anything? Any of the games? No, Madison's Madison's kind of been on the um, on the fringes. I think he, I think he is carrying a knock, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, See that, that? That was I only ever think I only think of that because like people were saying, it's like, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> Arsenal should have signed Madison. I was like, why? You can't even get into the Leicester team, like. Mm. What makes you think he, he would have been would have been good? I mean, I've I've read a few places that his head was turned, and he's just you know Rogers is just basically trying to get more get him interested in playing for Leicester again. But um, I don't know. Like, yeah, look, I'm actually just checking here. Like he's he has appeared like he's actually played in all six games, but yeah. he's registered four shots in those games. Which is, <laughs> criminally bad for his for a player of his quality you know yeah and for a player of his usual output yes I mean, like, very true yeah again look he started all six games I didn't even realise he had mm. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't think don't think most people did so it's just it's all about getting like Rogers just doesn't he, he's got a he's got a bit of a puzzle to work out and we could have got new great new players in so that Dakar guy is fucking looks super it, yeah um, he, it's just waiting for him to blow up as well, I think. Wait, why wait for him to blow up? Make it happen. Field him up up front with Jack Vardy. Go with the two up front. 
formation, you know? Yeah. Go four four two. Fuck it. You know, give Madison like you know uh, have have what well, Barnes on the Barnes wide. Uh, yeah, Barnes on the right and Madison, you know, yeah. left. It works. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you. Like, it's it is a kind of like the, the the kind of like thought process. Maybe there is like a, a a line of logic here with it, but sometimes like sometimes the best thing to do is just like just feel all your good players. You know, it's not that hard. Um, they, they went with an unusual against Warsaw. They went with an unusual three five two. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't suit them at all. Well, it gave Madison a kind of free sort of roving role, which kind mm. of seems should really suit him, sort of. But yeah, they can't do that. I mean, they're up against Palace next. They won't be able to do that. Palace, Palace are stacked in midfield, and they've got teeth. Yeah, so like that's true. Yeah, if anything, like Rogers knows enough to know that if he loses the midfield battle, Palace are going to eat him alive. Mm. Yeah. So. And that, that that probably does kind of like feed into his thinking about like where to field Madison or not because if he's not like producing because he is their focal point he's a number ten so if he's not actually producing shots or chances or whatever it is then is it is it worthwhile having him on the field do you go for someone else in that role or do you even change the system as 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 you were saying mm-hmm. it's an interesting one it is a bit of a puzzle but like what I've learned from Rogers is that if there's anyone that can fix that it will be him because he is tactically really good. I think maybe the team players are a bit burned out from last season and, like, again, a second year in a row where they're, they've missed out on Champions League football. You know, so I think there might be a bit of a psychological thing there, too. Fuck the Champions League football thing. Like, they are, it's like, do your shit in the Europa League. Like, you know, you're yeah. still in Europe. Like, you're still yeah, going to do good. Like, you know, these, don't get why they would, they of all teams would be snobby against the Europa League. I need would I to be, to be fair. Like I mean, like again, best chance for Leicester to win a win a comp, win a competition for me. And hey, you know what? The, what would you get if you win the Europa League? Champions League. Like you want the part one. Yeah, exactly. Job done. Um, and like let's be fair. Like compared to the other teams in, in there as well. Do you know who else gave it a good chance? West Ham. Do you know why? Because they want to be in Europe. <laughs> they're excited. They they have they're having fun. <laughs> You know, and um, let's say that's the, that's the thing about that as well. Like obviously, West Ham was a was a pleasant surprise. The fact that they they haven't been, you know, West Ham this season, um, which I think is a pleasant uh, change of pace. Like I think it's just a, it's just good to see West Ham actually kind of like sensible. You know, kind of way. It's isn't it weird to have West Ham as a normal, objectively good team? Well, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but they're they going back and like it's much been, much has been said that, that this is a Benarama reunion because mm. they're they're playing Brentford on the weekend and that's oh, the yeah. club that they got him off of. Uh, but Brentford don't really seem to have missed him, especially <laughs> considering they plastered three past Liverpool. And um, so I don't know. It should be a good act. To be honest with you, it's got all the makings of a fucking shootout. Yeah. And that's the thing, and that's why I quite love about why I quite like about Brentford is that like they are a team that like actually quite likes a shootout, you know, kind of way, where like some some promoted teams in the past do tend to like, especially teams like like them who are like more attacking oriented, they tend to try and change their approach to stay in the league. Brentford going like, well, no, like most of our like defenders are like big fucking Danish brick houses. We we're fine, we're cool with that. We play a back five, it's fine, and. Literally, is a case of like cross in, cross in. We have a big six foot three striker that'll do. Boom, <laughs> you know. And I, I do look, I do love the way they play. And I'm so glad to see them doing so well. Um, 
especially against Liverpool, they just had a fucking field day. You know, granted, wasn't the best match in the world between uh, between Matip and uh, Van Dijk, but but either way, like uh, it's it spoke so much to me about Brentford about how brave they are. The fact that like, oh yeah, no, it is it's some of the best teams in the world coming to town. We're still gonna play the same way, you know. Yeah. Like, that got them the win against Arsenal, and it's, it nearly got them win against Liverpool. You know, um, so like certainly from that from that point of view, like more of the same lads. You're doing you're doing right. Like keep going. You know. So, um, Norwich on the other hand, um, just just leave lads. Just just head it. Just go. Like just fucking go, man. Like it's 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 just sad now to be honest. It's like it's like the winds have turned against you. You know, kind of way. Like that's <laughs> they've turned the wins against us. Wins against us, you know. Um, so we are we are in the last half an hour of this, of this uh, podcast, Neil. We're doing quite well here. Um, so uh, have you got a cod for us? Actually, seeing that we are uh, we're towards the end here, because um, I have one I'd like to talk about. You go with your one, yeah. Okay, I want to go for my our fellow bald um, soulmate Pep Guardiola. Um, <laughs> so. We have spoken at length, um, in fact, it was yourself that brought us up initially and was very well said about how Pep Guardiola's mission this season is to be loved because <laughs> he's, not the love. he's not getting the adulation he thinks he deserves. Um, because that's again, one thing you should know about all football coaches, folks, is that they have egos and hubris and they need some, some sort of incentive to be. Like Jose, it's an us versus them kind of like mentality. Like they're they're fucking evil. Start pointing, start being angry type deal. Whereas like some managers don't have it. They they kind of like have a more altruistic way of it. With Guardiola, like I think he loves the cult of personality that he has. He's had it at Barcelona, still does to be fair. And um, didn't quite have it in Munich. It was it was there and it wasn't there. And then with City, it's kind of the same position where like. Man City fans kind of take it for granted that they have Pep Guardiola as their coach. You know, kind of way they're so used to the, the the entitlement, if you know what I mean, of having someone as good as him on the books. So a couple of weeks ago, and the reason I'm bringing this up now is because it's still funny. Um, <laughs> but um, a couple of weeks ago, basically, he had this very bizarre um, interview after the Leipzig game, which was six three, by the way, right. And basically, he said, "We need all the help we can get to be Southampton. I really hope everyone comes out and like just be there for Southampton game. Please, we, we need you there. We need your twelve man." <laughs> and then the twelve people actually in the stands went, "We are here all the time," you know. And it's just like I find it fascinating how, like, obviously some people need like natural enemies to get there to get on top of the game, but you don't turn against your own fans for not showing up. Like it's a uh, like. It's like the fan base wise, Man City is not the biggest in the world. You know, kind of way. Like, it's, you're not expecting to have 55 tails in the week. You know, what I'm also, the, the match he said that on was like, it was a midweek game at yeah. eight o'clock. At eight o'clock. So it's eight o'clock on a Wednesday. Um, and the Etihad isn't exactly the easiest place to get to or from. No, like Manchester so, is infamous for its horrible traffic. Like, yeah. They've had so, matches delayed in the past because of it. And you're just like, you know, like, well, when you're, I don't know, being helicoptered in like he is or something like that, <laughs> you know, you're like, traffic, what, what, what traffic? Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's, it was just such a bizarre thing, bizarre and hilarious thing to say for somebody to say, you know, and it, it just fed into like, and everybody kind of like, groan, all the Manchester United fans just kind of groaned because it, it feeds into the whole empty hat 
uh, cliche yeah. joke. And uh, it was brilliant. And I, I'd, I'd laugh, and I'm still really puzzled as to why he even said it. Maybe, I'm still trying to figure it out myself because, like, like, do you think really like the fact that, like you had 10, 15,000 empty seats in the stadium was that much of an impact on your players? Like, do these players look like the sentimental sorts? You know, kind of way. Like, this is a if you have players like David Silver and Vincent Company still there, it's go, yeah, no, fair enough. I can believe they're like 100% committed to the project. I don't care. I wouldn't, I would say like Roger wouldn't give a shit about it in that sense. He, like, they're professionals, they will just play the game the way they are, you know. But, um, but, but the kind of like to try and like inject that artificial sentimentality into this, what is essentially a fucking like vanity project for, for an oligarch is a bit of a fucking stretch, you know? Um, and, and from, from Guardiola's point of view, like I get it, you've always had like, uh, like jobs where you are objectively loved because you're a genius. And now you suddenly feel like you don't get that love from maybe the English press or the English like audience, whatever it is. It's like, oh, well, mate, read the room. Like, there's three or four different managers who get that role. Like, Jurgen Klopp is this kind of like like unbearably likable Hans Gruber type, you know, kind of way where like he will always or Hank Scorpio, I should say, where like literally he will do something really mundane and people will love him for it. He literally like like literally like yesterday he dug up some dirt from a from a part of Anfield they're building up. And everyone went, oh, he's hilarious. Look at him wearing jeans. Oh, man, what a, what a character. You know, in the same way, like, with, with Thomas Tuchel, I'm sure he does something funny every now and then. Uh, fuck it, I know I'm running out of ideas now at this point. But, like, this Bielsa with his bucket, you know, with his fucking... You have Steve Bruce, like, lying through his teeth. Moisey, bitter about... Every manager has, like, a, has an infamy to them. Um, Rafa still loved on Merseyside despite the Everton job. You know what kind of way... So with Guardiola like desperately trying to find a romance in a club with no romance about it, you know, and trying to like, inject this type of like, come on, we need you here against Wickham. Come on, come to the Wickham hmm. game. Something might happen. You'll see the 17-year-olds we have in our academy that we'll never use. Come on, please. <laughs> like, it's like, what are you expecting, lads? The fan base is not that fucking like fanatic, you know. There's, there's core members there, but there's not like it, it's it, it's it's a it's a different type of fan base, you know. It's a, it's a different size of fan base, and crucially, uh, the tickets the to the Etihad is like fifty five quid a pop. So you're expecting like you had three home games in that week, so you're expecting them to go to Leipzig, Southampton, and Wickham all in that week for fifty five quid a head. Fuck oh. that. And also the thing about it is, is that they they weren't allowing uh, season ticket holders uh, mm. to kind of pass on cup games. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, they, like season ticket holders get like a certain amount of cup and European games onto mm. their um, a- along with the every one of the regular league games. Yeah. And apparently, City don't do that. <laughs> don't allow um, them to uh, to fucking to to pass on those games. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, insane. No, I, I agree. Like, and that, and that's the trouble with it is that like you can't blame the fans for that. You know, like you're like they're still coming out of a pandemic, and like the Manchester that area, of Manchester is not the wealthiest in the world. You know, this is not like like a metropolitan area like London, where like you will get like high like like um 
big spenders going to watch these home games and, and casually like flapping their fucking thing around. Like you have to cater to who you have. And okay, granted, like to, to, to the club's credit, they've done a lot to try and rejuvenate the area and they still do. Um, but like you can't also like kind of give give with one hand and take with the other. You know, kind of way you either are going to be altruistic about it or you're going to show your true colours and say, oh, we're doing this so you can like us and you can love us more. We gave you Jack Grealish. Come to our home games to watch Jack Grealish. Oh, look, see, he fell over. Applaud. You know, it's just, it, 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 it's a pathetic exercise, really. And I don't know who was an aid of either. Like, who was, a, who was that an advantage to, you know? Was it to the home fans? Was it to Guardiola himself? Like, I don't know. I, I just found it a weird one myself. Um, especially considering, like, <laughs> um, it didn't make much of a difference because it ended up being a fucking goalless game. So I was like, <laughs> so what, what, what was the point? It's like, okay, they, they got to see some shots against a Hampton and then nothing. Like, well, that's a, that was 55 quid well spent, you know? Um. I think sometimes what might be the case as well is that like he's worried that like like Man City will score this will have this incredible game where they score five or six goals and then no one was there to see it. As we all know with with, with football, Neil, if no one was there to see it, did it ever exist in the first place? Not really, no, no. <laughs> Which is why last season's like see uh, triumphant win for Man City never happened because no one was in the stadium to see it. It was all it was all a mystery. It was all a dream. They made it up. They made it up. It never happened. It's total fabrication. Um, anyway, Neil, um, what about your card? Have you got a card for us this week? Yes, I do. Um, my card is... Uh, hold on for a second. I had it written down. <laughs> um, my card is Sparta Prague. Ah, topical. Absolutely. Very much very topical. Yes. Um, Sparta Prague, as you many anybody may know, um, had to play their latest Europa League game against Rangers um, behind closed doors because they racially abused one of their because one of their defenders, um, Kudela, got banned for ten matches for racially abusing one of the for Glenn Kamara, mm. one of the Rangers players, and so it was meant to be. Behind closed doors, blah blah blah, blah. but UEFA agreed <laughs> in, in typical UEFA fashion. Um, UEFA agreed that ten thousand fans, home fans, mainly school children, would be allowed in. Now, obviously, <laughs> that they were just children into the the the, the yeah. stadium, well, like kids in. But the thing is, is that like obviously, you know, you need adults accompanying these school children. Mm. And they thought, oh yeah, this will be great. This will be an atmosphere and something like that. No, no, no. They booed Glenn Kamara every single time. Anytime any black player touched the fucking ball, they booed. The boos were really fucking audible on the TV. And Glenn Kamara wound up getting sent off. Yeah. Um, which got a louder cheer than the goal that they scored to win the match. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and now like when people are going like this is fucking disgusting, and you know Steve Gerrard's come out and gone. I don't like. I've rewatched the match with the audio on, and I don't understand how I missed this. It's very obvious. Anytime any black player touches the ball, they're booing. Yeah, and then uh, Sparta Prague have come on and gone. Oh, stop attacking our children. Uh, we will proudly <laughs> defend our children. 
we were describing the behavior of children incorrectly. <laughs> you know, who are you to judge the expression of emotions of a six-year-old who have no idea what racism is? <laughs> you fucking serious? Like, there's literal video evidence. I, I, I didn't know. realize that Helen Lovejoy was director of football of Sparta Prague. Oh, it's just, it's fucking unbelievable. Like, uh, yeah, so like, well, and uh, they start to race this young in Sparta Prague. Apparently so. I mean, like, it's rare to see, like, two, like, two clubs from the same city on the same page when it comes to racism and how much they love it. Oh, um, they absolutely love it. You've got Slavia Prague with it where the players are racist and you've got Sparta Prague where the fans are racist. Apparently, there's another Prague team where everyone is racist. Like, <laughs> like legit, like, it's, it's, it's so pathetic. And, again, like, I, I get that you have Sparta Prague as the cod for, like, the, cod, the, the, the fucking, like, lamest reasons in that sense. Where they were blatantly like, said the kids were not racist. It's simply the times they live in that are racist. Fuck off. Um, no, it's just like how dare you attempt to like like they're just cheering and booing like the opposition team members. It's like yeah, but they're only booing, they're only booing the black ones. Yeah, you know, and the huge cheer and the massive boos for every time Glenn Kamara touched the ball, mm. and the huge cheer for when he got sent off. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like. Uh, it, it's it's hilarious. Oh, like it would be hilarious when not so fucking disgusting. That's and, the thing. Um, you know, it, it's coming into. They were coming up on um. This is like it's Black History Month now, and the Athletic ran a quite a good kind of retrospective, if somewhat timid retrospective of the Anton Ferdinand John Terry thing. Oh yes, of course. Um. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's all just. Like, it, like, like there's obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous thing, and like, there's obviously a wider conversation to be had about how UEFA are just such a cowardly organization when it comes to this. Where like they will like again like they, they have such like um unnecessarily drastic sanctions for like very banal stuff. You know, like there's like someone got a ten game ban for something like innocuous, whereas a team. A, cl- a fan base, a club, have been shown to be racist and they're still allowed to play. They're still allowed to compete. Okay, we have a stadium ban. Oh, you let like 10,000 kids in. So really, we're all like like kids, all about six foot and all had skinheads, by any chance? Just just, just okay. asking them. These were t- they weren't kids. They were just accompanied by adults who were teaching them. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically just... It was basically, Rangers just decided to give them a nice um, fucking field trip in racism. Yeah. And and the thing about it is that, like, like UEFA are obviously massive cowards when it comes to this. And oh, yeah. Uh, and and again, like another kind of like like thing about the about, about them was that they let all the European Super League clubs off the hook when it comes to punishments. You know, now in fairness, the Premier League clubs were kind of left off the hook previously, but the three they were still adamantly and are still are adamant about the Super League: Madrid, Barca, Juve. No sanctions, no no penalties whatsoever. It's like but, like, what the fuck is the reason for you to exist anymore? Like, you are meant to be the governing body. Do some fucking governing. Like, show some balls. Take some teams out of the competition. Like, you can't tell me between Slavia Prague and Sparta Prague that both those teams deserve to play in a competition. Like, if they want to be racist and they want to be xenophobic, if they want to be isolationist, then fucking let them. Let them play by themselves. Let them play in their own little leagues and start shanking each other because they're too racist. Let them do that. You know, kind of way. Like, I don't get the... They, they cannot take such a like a um 
philanthropic view of like, oh, we have to have them play or to have some representation for this team. No, if they're not allowed, if they, if they can't behave like normal ad- adults, they don't get to play with the normal adults. Simple as fucking that. Especially when the club starts defending it. You know, it's like, how is that a difficult decision? You cannot be that much of a pussy to go, oh, no, we can't like do anything like that. Is, is that that's wrong. We can't do anything along those lines. We didn't hear anything. It was like, mate, re- read the fucking room. Like there, there is bigger things at play than like the ten game ban you gave to someone else for completely like needless reasons. You know there is there is other things you need to do here, um, and yeah, like it's it's for 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 me like UEFA is the the be all and end all of this, um, quite frankly, um, so I don't know it's it, it's it, to me it's a bit pathetic to be to be fair, and it's more it's more pathetic that it keeps happening because we keep letting the racist clubs in. You know, it's almost as if, like, maybe that's the issue. You know, stop mm. letting them in and stop letting them be racist. You fucking idiots. You know, like, literally, like, the, the, the Sparta Pride, like, you mentioned Sparta Pride. Like, the reason their stadium was closed in the first place is because their fans racially abused a Monaco player. You know, that was literally, like, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what more? They, they committed a racist. Evidence. They committed a racist offence whilst under probation for a previous <laughs> racist offence. And like, listen, I, I, and I get it. Like, 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 idiots like this are going to keep being racist over and over again because they are exactly that. They're complete cretins. Um, I can't do anything about that. You know, like no one can do anything about that. What you can do is you can throw them out of the competition. Like, yeah. simple as that. Just like literally. Okay, we'll spark the pride. You can be in the group, but. Whatever happens, you don't progress. You can be top of the group; doesn't matter. We're going to give it to Bromby, give it to Rangers, whoever's third. You don't, you don't progress. No, just don't even let them. Just, yeah, just, just kick them, boot them right the fuck out. Yeah, simple as like it, just boot them it, right it, out. It, it, it's as simple as that. And the difference is like this is a wider problem with like governing bodies as well. The fact that how come like okay, granted it's not their jurisdiction, but why can't FIFA do it and intervene? Why can't a different governing body? Again, the fact that like there's just no one brave enough to do this. Well, FIFA, FIFA are terrible at it as well. I'm like the 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 whole furore over the Hungary fans, you know, yeah, like great example, yeah. The minis exactly. the minuscule fines. And what's what's funny about UEFA and FIFA is that they pocket the fines for racism that they meet out. Yeah, they don't like give them to anti discrimination, <laughs> like um, anti discrimination uh, organizations in those home countries are. For those clubs, like they just keep the fines that they give out for racism, and they just go. They probably love. They love racism. It's a fucking money maker. So every time yeah. it happens, they're like, "Yeah, here, here's one hundred thousand Swiss francs wired, wired courtesy to Seth Blatter's fucking bank account." Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, you, they're just again, keeping you, the money from it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we can make this do a business. Let's just keep the racist yeah. thugs in. Let's put them in their own league and have them fight like fucking MMA. You know. Yeah. Enjoy that. Yeah, they would actually. To be fair, like, like again, like, like these are only the ones that are these are incidents that are kind of making the news in a sense because obviously with the 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 Glen Camara kind of like reoccurrence, if you like. But like, how many other games are gonna going on in the under the of banner that are exactly the same that aren't being reported that are not higher profiles? You know, like it's just they just have such a massive issue with it, and they just are just not brave enough to make a decision on it. Like, if you ban one club from this, then, like, the rest of them will fall in line. You know, like, you could have done that with Slavia Prague. You could have done that with Hungary. 
you, you'd argue. The national team, granted, it's a punishment on the players. And again, they'll look at it thinking like, well, we can't like punish the players for their crimes. Like, you're not banished. The, the, the players understand, I'm sure. It's like, it's not their control, but it's neither in the control of the opponents either. Like, they can't control being racially abused. So, like, there has to be a sanction there, and it has to be such a stiff sanction that it prevents it happening again. And again, having your club thrown out of the competition, no, but no bonuses, no fucking financial gain, no compensation, that will do it. Literally hit the hammer on the bastards. Simple as. Mm-hmm. Um, but there we go. Again, it's another day in the incompetent world of UEFA and every other governing body that exists in football. <laughs> um, it, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, like that's uh, that, that's kind of our cause. I think um, Burkwa did have a cod for us, actually, um, that we might mention here um, to kind of sign off this podcast. And unfortunately, it's the NWSL, um, mm-hmm. American Women's Super League. So um, it, because it's, it's, it is a pretty big story um, over in the States, so it would be remiss of us to kind of to breeze over it. Um, there was a fantastic article about this on the, um, on the, art, on the Athletic Um Regarding this, actually, have a, like a live ticker on it, so there's like a button on the main menu where you can just get yeah. straight into it and just get like live running updates on it. Mm. So, unfortunately, it's another very um, like a very frustrating story from um, from the world of women's football. Um, so one of the most prominent prominent coaches, uh, Paul Riley, who was the, was the manager of uh, of North Carolina Courage. Um, has basically uh, had a lot of allegations thrown to his door about sexual coercion and manipulation, uh, intimidation, all these sort of things. Um, I won't go into this, the big details because I think it's more important that you uh, well perhaps uh, read about it first and talk about it um, and think about it from yourself, from your own point of view. But I think the, the main takeaway I found from the, uh, from the article was that how how plainly obvious this is, if you know what I mean, that everyone knew that like this, this individual, Paul Roddy, was doing all of this to um, to his own players and to other players and to all this sort of stuff. And so many players had obviously like been told not to mention and not to talk about it because of who he is. And that's a common story in a lot of women's football. We had it with Mark Sampson as well, of course, um, for, the, for his racist antics. But what's most frustrating of, of all is that the players themselves, the women have no protection from the governing body, you know, and the fact that like the, the NWSL, of course, was the night to the hilt saying that, um, oh, we didn't know, we had no indication of this being a case. I was like, yeah, I, as a wrestling fan, I've lived through this already with the speaking out movement and about how like you might s- stand there and say, we had no idea about these things. No, no, no you, you did have an idea. You just couldn't prove it there's a critical difference there. Like there is a kind of like tenant of like no smoke without fire, but like you could see the fire. It's at the distance. You don't know whose fire it is, but you know, there's a fire. How do you not take action on that? How do you not look at it and think, Oh, well, something's unusual there. Let's get some testimonials. Let's ask these, ask these players. The fact that I had to come out in a, in, in this like incredibly well done article, but like, well, like two or three years after the fact, whatever, how long it's been going on. And like these women obviously vividly remember these details because how could you not in a sense? But I just found it so disappointing and again, not really surprised that the governing body for this women's like like football league had no protection for their players at all. 
And like this is a committee, committee that's kind of like that's run a lot by women as well, and they just didn't do anything about it, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, there was protection in place, but it wasn't for the the women. It was for like, yeah. like it was for him. Like it was yeah, for exactly. Um, like they absolutely did know. Like Baird was actually informed of Farley and Jim, the two player, one of the two main players. They were informed of their allegations of directly over email last spring. Mm. And they took no action against Riley at the time. The the like there was a, a good there was a, a tweet from Megan Rapinoe, which was never once during this whole time was the right person actually protected. Yeah. You know. And that that was it, you know. So it, it's the case of like, no, 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 they they absolutely knew and they defended them. Like they well they, turning a blind eye to this is essentially tacit defense. You know? Yeah. That's the thing. It's it's more of a case like, uh, and that also kind of comes to the club as well. Like, like you cannot tell me that everyone in that club was 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 completely unaware of 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 what he was and what he was doing. You cannot tell me that nobody in that club was like was anyway. Everyone was in the dark. Like people talk, people say things. There's rumors abound. All this sort of thing. All these things. And um, so the club is always at, is is clearly at fault with this as well. But. Um, like for, from my side, like it is obviously such a frustrating thing on that aspect that like you're only letting them go now is because it's out. It's been it's it's out there and the rep the rep, the PR you're getting is gonna be so bad that you are half the fire to make to basically save face. You know. Now granted, I'm sure the devil devil laughing we say, well, if you fired him, then there'll be people asking, Why did you fire one of the best coaches in the league? It was like, Well, here's the reason, and you could you, you come clean and say, well, this is why, you know, because again, as the club, you'd be thinking like this fucker's betrayed us. He's making us look bad. Like he's wearing our badges on our, on his fucking jacket. We can't have him doing that, you know? Um, but they don't think in those terms. They think in far more like, you know, like it, it reminded me of the Benjamin Mendy situation with, with, with City. The fact yeah, that like yeah. they knew about those allegations in November. They came out in November. He was up on bail. He's on bail. He's on bail since November, and still you played him until the story came out, and then he's gone. He's suspended. It's like that is that is further proof that obviously like football is is inherently an amoral business, but it just goes to show you how skewed the priorities are. Like there is no like kind of humanity there in a sense. It is a case of like say nothing, keep going, don't ask questions, leave it there, and. Yeah. That was very much the case with the Paul Whitey situation. Is a case of like, don't rock the boat, don't say anything, and basically just let him away with it. You know, it's just like because like he was clearly in there to, to to he wasn't in there to to coach football. He was in there to abuse women. That's yeah. that's the realities of it. The fact that no one else saw that was a bit fucking depressing, to be honest. And again, oh, they didn't know about it, it, but they just didn't yeah, do anything about it. They didn't yeah. do anything about it exactly. Yeah, and. And, and like I said, like that is that like that that is unfortunately proof of again another governing body who just don't govern. They just don't bother. Um, and again, they, they'll wash their hands and go, "Well, we can't act on it until there's proof." It's like you had the proof last spring, as Neil as Neil you were saying there. Mm-hmm. You had a year to act on this. I said, "Okay, well, if you're not going to act on this, we're going to tell the tell a fucking paper like this, and it's going to blow up everywhere else, and you're going to look like fucking assholes for not doing anything about this." You know, you can call, you can act for like tribunals, you can act for all this other stuff now, but it's too late. The horse is bolted. <laughs> you missed your chance to look like the good guys here. You know, 
So yeah, it's a it's a pretty depressing case, unfortunately. Um, and again, not a not 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 a very uh, rare occurrence in women's football, unfortunately. But um, but like I said, it's uh, it's the way it is. I don't know why we ended on such a sour notes. We should have had like a we need we need like and finally stories on a on on this like podcast to to wrap things up. Well, and finally, well, we could go with the fact that Barcelona are complete shit. Yes, there we go. That's a happy story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Neil, Neil, burning question. Here we go. Is Coleman get the sack? No. Neither do I. I agree. Even though well, he, like, who else would he get a get I mean, exactly. Yeah. The the recent the recent um, news out of La Liga is that they've slashed the Barcelona wage bill yet again. Um, so now their wages can't exceed more than ninety eight million a year, which is lower than Wofford's. Yeah. Um, so I'm like just just to put just to put that in perspective. Like they were paying Griezmann thirty million a year. Yeah. So he he he, <laughs> he alone would have taken up a third of that fucking wage bill. I love it. Um, I love it. So like my God, they're they're gonna have to keep selling. They're gonna get gutted. And also, Coleman just is a really bad coach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's playing like really, really, really dog shit football and just claiming that it's realistic. He's pissing everybody off because mm. I think he's on like, I think his payoff could pay him off to get out to give him like 12 million quid. So he's pissing everybody off. He doesn't give a fuck. He's only got one year left in this contract. Uh, well, he was only signed on a short term. But like, <laughs> like they they've slinging it, they're slinging in like a record amount of crosses. They sling in like fifty four crosses in one game. <laughs> Barcelona, yeah, yeah, fifty four crosses at a one all draw at home to Granada. Um, Beautiful. It's just, like he was he was fielding like PK as a centre forward to get in the end of these. Yeah, like so they're they're fielding like they're just they're pl- they're playing like Stoke. You know, yeah. <laughs> Stoke Alona. Stoke Alona. But the, 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 the Luke de Jong is just garbage. He's just not, mm. he, you know, he's just terrible. But he's just, they're just so bad. The thing is, right, this club, the club was really, really t- in a terrible position when he took over, right? That can yeah. absolutely just cannot be denied. But what you do with clubs like that, you're like, all right, then fine. He, he's gone to a press conference and he stated, look, this isn't the, the era of Xavi. This isn't the, the era of Iniesta. This is the era of Braithwaite. <laughs> this is the yeah, era. It's, it, it's, it's the football club of austerity. Exactly. So you're thinking, all right, then fine. So what you do in that regard is you make the team hard to break down, right? Mm. You, you know, you, you make it compact, you know, keep everything tight at the back. But, they're not even doing that. They're gar- absolute garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was it was just fucking terrible. Like they they got absolutely cut to shreds in the Champions League there by um by Benfica, yeah. By Benfica, like it, it's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. You love it. And then and then Madrid beaten beat by Sheriff Tiraspol. It's like oh, even better. Double whammy of like the. The, the, the big giants have been slain. <laughs> oh, it's great. What a, what a time to be alive. 
Real Madrid beaten by the Moldovan champions, Sheriff Tiraspol, at the Bernabeu. It's only even they, no, they're only even nominally Moldovan. They're actually in some kind of like... They're in weird, the... Yeah, like an annex part of Moldova. Yeah, <laughs> not even there. And the guy who scored the goal to beat them couldn't even make it into the Luxembourg team that beat Ireland. That should tell you the quality of the Luxembourg team, Neil. Like they are such a serious unit, and the fact that you are disrespecting Luxembourg, oh, they're fucking Neil. stacked, man. They're fucking stacked. No, they're they're, they're they're absolutely terrible. His brothers made it in, though, apparently. But he could... yes, it's like there's like three fills in the in the there's a Phil, Bill, and Will. Phil. Yeah, apparently there's a fourth one as well. So who knows? They're, they're the hazards of Luxembourg. Yeah. But uh, that, that's, that's just like it's a fucking dumpster fire, and it's just hilarious. And the yeah. further cuts to their wage bill, wage bill, like that's just awful. In the meantime, Real Madrid, however, have had theirs increased. Mm-hmm. So they're back, they're wage, back, back here they come. Yeah. So <laughs> Real Madrid's uh, wage wage cap stands at uh, about six hundred and fifty million. Yeah. So their wage cap is nearly seven times, six seven times that of Barcelona. You can't wait uh, for like an, an El Clasico to be played with like the Real Madrid's like full eleven, and then Barcelona's eleven trialists. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Uh, it's just gonna be what the hell is Troy Deeney doing in the new camp? <laughs> <laughs> he would actually be somewhat of a step up from Martin fucking Braithwaite to tell you that. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's Troy. Like, like it says a lot when like Barcelona is quite literally just a Spanish derby county now, and that's a weird fucking sentence to say, isn't it? It's so fucking they're just terrible. Like, and yeah. I don't see any way back. Like, they could be in the mire for fucking like a decade. Like this, this might cripple them. Yeah, they're they, 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 they're getting kicked. They are literally that clip of 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 Joe Exotic going. I don't think I'll financially recover from this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally that kiff over and over again. Um, but Neil, we have we have reached our time here on the Liquor Football Podcast. We're in, we're in the injury time. We're we're four minutes in. So there's, a, there's a last minute throw in. Could be an equaliser. Like mm-hmm. it could be anything happen in the last minute. But no, in actuality, it's going to be the outro. Um, so we, we've covered a lot of ground, I think, and caught up on all the football. We have an interval on the way, Neil, which I'm sure is going to be very exciting to about three people who love international football. Um, and by three people, I mean Gareth Southgate and his two reflections in the mirror. Um, so does he even like international football ever? And he does. He's not any good at it. I don't know. Like, I would. I wouldn't enjoy doing a job I'm not any good at. To be fair, Neil, like he's the kind of guy that likes drinking water instead of pints. So, <laughs> um, anyway, but nevertheless, lads, uh, we are done with this podcast. Neil, thank you very much for your, your time tonight. Always mm-hmm. a pleasure talking football with you. And uh, who knows? Do, you don't have to do any prep work for this podcast format, so we might just stick to this from now on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's kind of fast and loose, but however. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, then please give us a follow on our uh, feed at Monday Madness. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Monday Madness LP to keep track of all the podcasts we're doing, including this one, which we do every now and then, and then our Jellyfield Donut podcast, our Pokemon rewatch wa- uh, watch along. Uh, so feel free to subscribe for them and potentially more in the I don't know why I'm like promoting more podcasts that probably won't happen, but you never know. Just stick around. You never know what happens. <laughs> um, if you want to hear more from us, though, and see more, more from us, you can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at Monday Madness LP, uh, or you can follow our Twitch account, which is uh, showing signs of life after years of dormancy. Um, so you can follow us on either one of them. Both of them are Monday Madness LP. But for now, guys, thank you very much for watching and listening, and because all of that was liquid football.